0: let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for being such a gracious heavenly father who does satisfy us, who does say to come and taste and to eat and see that you are good. And so God, there's so many times in our life where things are not going the way that we planned or not going how we thought they would go. And so therefore we don't see how you're good or think that you're good, but God, help us to see that no matter what is going on, that you do love us because you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And so therefore, no matter what circumstances are going on, even though if they're not good, we can always say you are good. And God, as we open your word today, I pray that you would help us to see the truth in it, God, to hear, to listen, but we know without your Holy Spirit, God, that can't happen. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to be present with us today, to fill us today, to open our eyes, our ears, because God, I really believe that the message of this sermon, God, is so needed in our culture and particularly in the church. So God, help me as I preach it, as always, to be faithful to your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, how are we? We good? Good. Well, we spent the last eight or nine weeks or so talking about wrestling, and no, I'm not talking about WWE, but that's wrestling, all right? So I've been talking about wrestling, all right? Wrestling with God, and we did a whole series called Welcome to the Wrestle, and then Pastor Chad wrapped it up last week. Didn't he do a great job last week, man? Give it up Pastor Chad. Thank you so much. And we were working through, talking through the story of Jacob and how God wrestled with Jacob. And our whole point in that series is that God comes and wrestles us because he wants to change us. That God comes and deals with us because he doesn't like the lack of integrity within us. And all of us have that lack. All of us have what I would call a duplicity, a, a doubleness where we talk one way and we act one way or we act in different circumstances around different types of people or we act one way at home or one way at, at church or one way at work you know, or one way with our buddies. And the idea of it is the whole point of that series and really our theme for all of 2020 has been to be an integrated people, to be a people who are one, who are whole. And so the whole message series was about health. It was about emotional healthiness or wholeness and talking about how God wants that. And now what we're going to do is we're going to transition out of the story of Jacob, and we're going to start a new message series based in the book of Micah. Now, if you don't know where Micah is, all right, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, it's about page 800 or so in my Bible, but it's in the, in the story of the minor prophets. If you know where Jonah is, take it right. It's right after Jonah, all right? And so you got all the major prophets, and the major prophets are major in length, and then you have the minor prophets, and there's 12 of them, and they're not minor in their message, they're just minor in their length. And so Micah is only seven chapters long. So between now and the end of the year, we're going to preach through the book of Micah, and I've never actually done an Old Testament prophet, uh, and so I'm kind of excited about it, but I got to be honest with you, I'm a little nervous about it as well, and by nervous, I don't mean like I'm nervous to teach the Word of God, but the message of Micah is so timely, I think, for our world right now because not only does God wrestle with individual people like Jacob, he wrestles with groups of people or persons. And in the Old Testament specifically, that was the nation of Israel. And in the New Testament specifically, it's not America, it is the people of God, the church. And what we have to understand is, This letter of Micah, it wasn't written to us, and so there's some specific things in this letter, as I'll point out as we go through it, that specifically applied to the nation of Israel at that time, so it wasn't written to us, so I can't take this book and like just automatically apply it to the nation of America as a whole, but it was written for us, and so what I mean by that is this. We're going to see how God wrestled with an entire group of people. Not just individual people, Jacob, because if you know the story of Jacob, and I hinted on this the last time I spoke, but God changed his name to Israel, right? and then Israel became the nation of Israel. Israel's 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, and so they were a people, and God wrestled with them, and he was going to wrestle with them in the book of Micah because God needed to execute judgment. So there's two Uh, Two big themes in the book of Micah that we're going to see. One is judgment. One is mercy. And the reason why I say I'm a little nervous about this is just because in our heightened culture where there is no nuance anymore, everybody goes to the extremes. This is a message that I think is so necessary, particularly, again, I'm not preaching to to America because I'm not the president, all right? I'm preaching to the church. Because I think the things that were going on in the nation of Israel that Micah prophesied to are so important that if we're not careful, we can repeat them again. And so the message of Micah, I think, is very timely for us, and it's one that we need to hear, but it's always not one that we want to hear. And so when I say nervous, what I'm getting at is the first three chapters of Micah are about judgment or about God coming down to judge his people because he didn't like the way his people were acting. In fact, there's one key verse in the book of Micah and we'll get to it in a few weeks. In fact, it'll be after Thanksgiving by the time we get to it. But in Micah chapter 6 verse 8, God or Micah says this, what does the Lord require from you? What does he want? And then he answers. He says to do justice, to love mercy or kindness, depending upon your translation, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants. That's what he wants his people to do. The problem was his people weren't doing it. The problem was the nation of Israel was called out to be different, was called out to be peculiar. They were chosen by God, and he wanted them to live differently in the world, to be differently in the world, to be like... like. A light attracts bugs, right? Like, to be a light in the world so that the other nations around it saw, oh, wow, they live differently because they have a different God than we do. The problem was the nation of Israel, just like us as the church a lot of times, blended in too much with the world, was too much like the world. They weren't doing justice. They weren't loving mercy and kindness, and they weren't walking humbly, with their God. And so I think the message of Micah, again, is very timely because what you and I have to understand, and I did this in the Welcome to the Wrestle series, but I'm going to do it again today, is what we have to understand is that this is the process of discipleship. The process of discipleship is God takes us out of the world, and then he's got to take the world out of us. That's the whole point. So let me give you this definition, and then we'll jump into the book, all right? So I have it here on the screen. You might want to write it down. Discipleship is the process of putting off. This is what Pastor Chad talked about last week in Colossians 3. Putting off the sinful patterns. Now listen to these two things. Of our family of origin and culture. Our family of origin and culture. Then being transformed to do life God's way in Jesus' new family. That's the church. So the process of discipleship is very simply, again, Colossians 3, putting off that old self, putting on that new self, that process of transformation. So the message of Micah is so timely for us today because it's a discipleship message. It's a message that I think the church needs to hear that says, listen, we can agree to disagree about political opinions, but what we can't disagree about is how God's people should show up in the world. What we can't disagree about is how the type of people God wants us to be. He wants us to be the type of people that are different. And I don't know if you've checked social media lately, but Christians aren't acting very different. And this is why I think it's timely. So let's jump into the book, Micah chapter one. I'm just gonna do chapter one today. We're gonna just walk through these. And like I said, we'll do it all the way through the end of the year, all the way up to our Christmas Eve gatherings, all right? So Micah Micah chapter one, now, there's gonna be some names in here that I just can't pronounce, all right? So we're gonna give grace to each other, all right? We're gonna love mercy and kindness today. So I'm gonna do my best to pronounce, even as a preacher who, I have a masters of divinity. So that means I have mastered divinity, all right? Even I can't pronounce some of these names correctly, all right? Micah chapter one, verse one. It says, the word of the Lord that came to Micah. So these aren't Micah's words. These are God's words that came to Micah of Moresheph in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, real quick, this gives you the time frame. So the book of Micah was written between 750 BC and 700 BC. So BC, if you don't know, means before Christ. So before Christ was born, AD does not mean after death, all right? It's Anno Domini. It's Latin. It means year of our Lord. So Jesus's birth literally split history. So what we do in the Old Testament or BC is we're counting down to Jesus's birth. So it counted backwards. And since that point, we've been counting up, all right? So this is 750, 700 BC, before Christ. So this is 750 to 700 years before Christ came on the scene. And he gives you these specific kings. Now, there was a pattern in Israel that happened, and I would say it's pretty much a pattern that happens in our country as well. They had different kings. We don't have kings. We have presidents. But the line of kings in Israel, you can just go read this if you want some fun reading. In First and 2nd Kings, they would have good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, good king, good king bad, king, bad king, bad king. And so there was always this process of they were doing what they thought was right, and then they would repent and come back to God. Then they were doing what they thought was right, and God is... <laughs> Honestly, sick of this process. And if you look back in our history, you could probably divide it up the same way. And depending upon your political persuasion, you'd be like, yeah, that was a good one. No, that was a bad one. The point is, there is this moral decay that is happening amongst the people. And so God speaks to Micah, and then he wants Micah to speak to the people. Verse 2, he says, here, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Verse three and four. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. Now, anytime you see language like that, where it's talking about the Lord is coming down. Sometimes it's metaphorical in sense, like he's not actually himself going to come down in this instance, although it is going to prophesy in chapter 5 that a, a Savior will be born in Bethlehem. So I don't know if you know that, but all the Christmas prophecies come out of Micah, or a lot of them do. So this is why it's another good time to do this message series, and this time as we head into Christmas. But sometimes when God it says God comes down, it's not him physically coming down, but he's coming down in the sense that he knows what's happening. The things of the earth are not lost on him, and so he is going to act, and he acts, and here's what's crazy. Sometimes he acts in ways that are so foreign to us. In this instance, here you have the people of God. They're not living right. And God is going to judge them. But here's what's crazy. He's going to judge them with a secular, worse nation than them. And so in 722, they are going to fall to the kingdom of the Assyrians. The Assyrians didn't love God. It's not like they were righteous. It's not like they were walking with God. And so what this tells us is that God is over control of all nations of the earth. And there's other places in the Bible where it says kings comes and goes, but God controls them all. And so God is going to act. He's going to come down. He is going to move. He is going to judge. And anytime judgment comes, let's just be honest, we don't like it. We don't like it because it's a sense of we have to admit, oh, yeah, that was wrong. And when God executes judgment, it's always righteous. And what that means is it's righteous because his judgment is trying to get us to righteousness, Is trying to get us to see that we're wrong. And so if you want to know what righteousness is, just think of it like this, rightness. There's a right and there's a wrong. And so he says, I'm I'm coming down. I'm aware of this. And the mountains, the high places, anything, the valleys, nothing is going to withstand my judgment. Why, Why is he doing this? Look at verse five. All of this, All of this is for the transgression of Jacob. Now, that's interesting. We just got through talking about the dude named Jacob, right? If you were here, if you weren't, you can go back and watch that series, Welcome to the Wrestle, all right? Maybe you're still saying Welcome to the Wrestle really loud in your car, all right? What is the transgression of Jacob? He says, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Now, here's what we need to understand. I'll explain to you contextually what was going on at this point in time. See, when God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he took them into the promised land. He was calling them to himself, again, to be different, to be peculiar. So they go into the promised land, and they don't want God as a king. So they say, give us a king like all the other nations. And God's like, all right, that's what you want. I'll give it to you. He gives them Saul. Saul was not a very good king. So then underneath him, he raises up David, and David was a man after God's own heart. and They had a lot of peace, a lot of prosperity during David's reign, but David made some bad decisions. One of those was he got someone else pregnant who wasn't his wife, and out of that comes Solomon, and then Solomon becomes the next king. Well, after Solomon, even though he was the wisest man in the world, he couldn't understand that he see the sins of his father, that one wife was best, so he had a lot of wives, So therefore, he had multiple sons. And here's where things got crazy in the nation of Israel. His sons couldn't decide on who was the rightful king. So one king takes the people and creates a nation, and the other king takes a people and creates a nation. So their nation was divided into two nations, a northern kingdom, which was the 10 10 of the 12 tribes, and their capital was Samaria. A southern kingdom, which was two other tribes, and their capital was Jerusalem. So what is the sin of Jacob? What is the transgression of Jacob that God is talking about here in Micah? You know what it is? It's the same thing that Jacob did. It's a doubleness. It's a twoness. Their nation became so divided that they broke off into two. You see why I think this is a timely message for our world right now? Because if we're not careful, not only can our nation, but again, I'm not talking about our nation. I'm more talking to the church. If we're not careful, our church, the church and and the local church of Revolution Church, can be divided into two. Can be divided into two. And the Bible says that's a transgression. He says the transgression of Jacob. God was upset about the fact that they were arguing over who should have been king, and they totally missed what they should have been doing, which was walking humbly with God. They totally missed that. And this is why I said earlier you and I can honestly disagree about political opinions, but what we can't disagree about is we're all one in Christ. What we can't disagree about is that, that Jews and Greeks can come together under Christ that male and female can come together under Christ, that black and white can come together under Christ and live out the commands of God as the church. And that, my friends, is far more important than whatever is going on in whatever nation we find ourselves in. Let me say it to you like this. Their nation got so caught up in the kingdom of men that they missed the kingdom of God. That's the message of Micah. See, the message of Micah is all about kingdom of God living. That's what it's about. How do we live as the people of God going after the kingdom of God? We do justice. We love mercy. We walk humbly. That's what we're called to do. But they weren't doing it because they were so divisive over politics. They were so divisive over who should run the country. They were so divisive about everything that was going on in the affairs of men that they missed the affairs of God. And church, hear me. I think that is the call to the church today. The kingdom of God lasts forever, and you and I are called to build the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we, we bow out of the kingdoms of men. No. It means we take justice and kindness and mercy and humility into those kingdoms. We take it into those places. We take it into those environments. That's what we do. But they weren't doing it. Look at this. He says, therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. Listen to this one. Verse seven, all of her cards. Carved images shall be be beaten to pieces. All of her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. Thank goodness Rev Kids is back. All right? But this is in the Bible. What's going on here? Again, contextually, what you need to understand, the nation of Israel, actually the two nations at this time, so you got Israel and Judah the northern and the southern, had so adopted the cultural practices of those around them that it actually came into their house of worship. So much so that not only did they adopt the sexual practices of the culture around them, they brought them into church. Now, I don't have time to get into all that. And again, this is kind of a mixed forum, and so I won't do it. But just if you want some interesting reading, go see what they were doing. And you'll understand why God was so mad. But what were they doing? Ultimately, they were doing the same thing we do. They were propping up things that weren't God. Images, wages, idols. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at this. Because when the people of God come out of Egypt, what is the first thing that they do when Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments? They take all their gold... They melt it down, and they make it into a golden calf. And Moses comes down and sees it, and he's like, what are y'all doing? Here's what was crazy. They're like, oh, we're worshiping God through the golden calf. Now, why did they burn down all their gold into a golden image? You want to know why? Because that's what Egypt did. They had been in Egypt for 400 years. And if you know anything about Egypt or if you're studying anything about Egypt, they have all these statues, all these golden images of all these things. And so they just took the cultural practices and brought it into the church. And they were like, hey, we're just worshiping God through gold. You know, here's what's crazy. You may not have a golden statue in your house, but how many times do you and I worship God through money? How many times do you and I worship God through other cards, images, again, the, the, A lot of times Christians could feel good because you don't have a golden Buddha at your kitchen table. You're like, well, I don't have a golden Buddha. Yeah, maybe you don't have him at your table, but you have this idea in your heart that if you have all these things, then you're okay. And so we can bring the cultural practices into church and that's what they were doing. And God says, listen, I'm coming down and I'm gonna deal with it. And here's how I'm gonna deal with it. I'm gonna lay waste to everything that you've built up. I'm going to lay waste to everything you've built up. Now, is that what 2020 is? I don't know. I'm not Micah, and I'm not a prophet. God didn't call me to be a prophet. He called me to be a pastor. Because prophets, if they were wrong, they got killed. I didn't sign up for that. (laughs) However, as a pastor, as Micah says in Micah chapter 7, verse 14, he says, shepherd the flock. It is my job as your pastor to tell you. A warning of judgment to say, as the church, we cannot adopt the cultural practices around us and bring them in. Look at how Micah responds, verse 8. He says, for this, I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. Who even knew ostriches made sounds? For her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. Listen to this next line. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. What has reached? He says the wound. Now, don't miss this. This stood out to me so much that I titled the message for this. I will lament. Micah is so upset. About the things that he sees going on among his people that when God pronounces a judgment on them through him, he responds with lament. He responds with wailing. So much so that he literally, the Bible, he took out off, he wouldn't have taken off all his clothes and walked through the streets, but he took off his outer garments and walked through the streets screaming, wailing like a jackal or an ostrich. Michael was so upset about the sins of his people that it led him to a season of grief. Why? Because he says this, for that same wound in the culture has reached my people, has reached at the gates of my people. Now, church, listen to me. I want you to, again, as your pastor, I want you to hear me. There have been a lot of things in 2020 that have grieved me. I mean, I've grieved by the devastating effects of the coronavirus. I'm grieved by the job loss, the loss of health, the loss of life. But you wanna know the thing that grieves me the most? Is how Christians have responded in it. As a pastor Here I thought we were raising a bunch of theologians and I realized we're raising a bunch of ideologians. A bunch of people that were going after the kingdom of God but were so consumed by the kingdom of the world. The thing that has upset me and grieved me the most is seeing Christians not loving mercy, not being kind, not walking humbly with their God. And not seeking justice. That is what has grieved me the most. Because again, you and I can disagree about how things should be handled or who should be our president or how this country should be ran. But we cannot disagree that I'm called to love my neighbor as myself. And the Bible says I'm called to love my enemy. I don't see a lot of love of our enemies going around. And so I think it's appropriate, again, this is why I think this message is appropriate, for us as the church to step back and to grieve. Now, here's what you need to understand. Part of the grieving process, and there's a great book if you're in the grief process called Good Grief. It lays out the five steps. First is shock. The second is anger. So back in March, when the coronavirus happened, remember, like we thought we were going to shut down for two weeks. We're like, oh, we're just going to, you know, just close the buildings for a couple weeks. We're already set up online. We're good. We're still going to do Easter in person. Remember that? We're like, oh, we're good. And then it drags on, it drags on. And then it's like, oh my gosh. And there's a rush on toilet paper. Remember that? And my wife was freaked out about that. My baby, it's fine. I got a water hose. I'm good. And if y'all think that's gross, listen, rich people got bidets, do the same thing, all right? <laughs> so this whole, this whole process starts, and, and as a nation, and honestly, for a lot of us, this was one of the first times, or one of the first times since 9-11, that we went through this collective grief together. And we were all shocked. We were shocked. But what happened is then we get into the next stage, which was anger. And a lot of us got stuck there. We got stuck there. And then we start fighting with people over masks. For real? For real? Listen, you can have an honest disagreement with me about where I should, if I should wear a mask or if you should wear a mask. But you're going to destroy your neighbor over a mask? And then we have honest disagreements about whether we should open or we shouldn't open. Okay. We can have honest disagreements, but, but let's assume the best about each other. That's one of our values around here. Let's not assume the worst about each other. Let's assume the best about each other. <laughs> and we haven't even gotten to the election yet. And as a nation, we're in this collective grief process where we went from shock to anger, but we got stuck. We didn't move on, and that's a sign of emotional unhealthiness, and now our social media feeds are littered with whoever we think should be the next president. Listen, I'm not saying don't vote, vote, but here's what I know. As we're going to get into Micah 5 and Micah 6 and Micah 7, whoever the president is, Jesus is in control. And I just wonder, what grieves me is I wonder how many Christians have lost the influence they could have had because they took a stand over something so trivial in the world. We traded in because simply we forgot to love kindness and love mercy and to walk humbly because we felt oppressed or we felt marginalized or we felt persecuted. Listen, just because... The government has told some people that they can't meet in the church. Doesn't mean the church is not the church. Doesn't mean that we are not still doing what we're doing. This is one of the reasons why I'm so proud of Revolution Church. Because even though our buildings weren't open, we never closed. We were doing mission, we were loving justice, loving kindness, mercy. I can't tell you how many tons of food and water bottles and backpacks and all kinds of stuff that we've given out to our neighbors. But I think it's time for us to get back to this place, again, where we respond like Micah. We say, you know what? I'm going to vote, but first I'm going to grieve. I'm going to lament and wail, not over just where the country is, but, but where the church is, because see, the church is not defined by left or right. It's defined by the center of God's heart. The church is defined by a prophetic voice to the culture, and sometimes that will align us more one way or the other. And I'm not saying just saying Revolution Church. Now, listen, I vote. I'm not going to tell you for who, because that's no, none of your business. It doesn't matter. What matters, though, my job is not to tell you how to vote. My job is to tell you how to live. And that's what Micah is getting at. Look at verse 10. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. This is where I'm gonna miss some of these names, all right? Grace, mercy, love it, all right? In Bethlah, Bethla, Aphra, roll yourselves in dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Japhir, and nakedness and shame, the inhabitants of Zanon. Do not come out. The lamentation of Beth Azel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Moroth, Wait anxiously for good because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. There's some Hebrew words here that is a play on words that we don't get in English. Because the first one, he says, weep not at all, gath. Well, gath means weep. So he says, weep, weep town. The second one, he says, roll in dust. The name of that town means dust. So what is Micah calling them to? He's calling them to what their name says they should do. They should weep. They should grieve. They should roll in dust. Instead, what are they doing? Look at this phrase. They're waiting anxiously for good. Now, is that not one phrase that describes 2020 better than anything else? We are waiting anxiously for good. Waiting anxiously for good. And the problem with the church has become thinking that a politician can bring it. Anxiousness is what has defined the people of God in this age, in this season. But what should define the people of God? The fruits of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5. What are they? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Here's one from Micah. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. Oh, here's one for all of our social medias. Self-control. I just I had I had to post it, Pastor. I had to. You didn't know what I just read. Here's what I do know. The algorithms are set up to keep feeding you the information that you like. If you don't know that, go watch the, the, there's a documentary on Netflix right now about how it is set up to feed you in your biases. And the more that we live into that, the less self-control and all these other things that we will have. Again, I, I said this before, but maybe in this season, God wanted the church to stand up and say, hey, world, we're here. We're here to love you. We got joy down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. We got peace. We got patience. We got kindness. We got goodness. We got faithfulness. We got self-control, man. Come on. But see, again, we got stuck in the process. And so let me help you. Again, because it's my job to pastor you. So I want to help you with the process of transformation. This was so helpful to me as I learned this, so I want to share it with you, and I hope it's helpful to you. But here's the process of transformation. The process of transformation is this. I have it on the screen. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Let me break that down for you. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. See, this process, and again, I didn't come up with this, theologians did, is a theological concept of how God deals with his people. So when we come to Christ, it's normally out of a disorienting time in our life because life's not going the way that we want, and so God is using a wrestle to wrestle us, to get us, to open our eyes, to see the truth that there is a God and there is more going on that we can see and that he does love us and he does have a plan for us. And so in the beginning of walking with God, you're coming out of that and you're in that, that's that reorientation process. And then that's when you're getting oriented with God. And then as you walk with God, you face these disorienting seasons And I think if there was one word that I could categorize 2020, it would be disorientation, right? Because what is disorientation? It's chaos. It's confusion. It's darkness. Here's what's crazy. One theologian said two-thirds of the Psalms are disorientation Psalms. They are Psalms about the writers being disoriented, confused in chaos, darkness. I don't know what you're doing. And it's in those seasons of disorientation that God is wrestling with us. And see, the people of God in Micah are about to go through a disorientation process called judgment. They're about to be sent to exile. And because they wouldn't weep and wail and repent beforehand, see, if they would have weeped and wailed and repented before, God wouldn't have had to bring it. But since they didn't, he had to. Why? And this is what you got to understand. There's the good news. After disorientation, there is something else. It's called reorientation. And what is that? That's the process of God putting on the new you. That's the process of saying, hey, here's how your family of origin did it, but we don't do it like that. Here's how the culture around you does it, but we don't do it like that. We don't do marriage like that. We don't do money like that. We don't do sex like that. We don't do love like that. We don't do all these things like that. But unless God disorients us, unless God gets our attention, unless God wrestles with us, unless God allows us to have these dark nights of the souls, then we'll never reorient. Because we only, listen, we only change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. That's the only times we change. It's it's like when I was playing ball. I was going to change because I was tired of my coach yelling at me and making me run and do up-downs. They call them burpees now. I don't want the mess that's called, but we just called it up-downs or down-ups or whatever you want to call them. We had to run and down and up, down and up, down. I was tired of making a mistake. So guess what? The pain of making the mistake was greater than the pain of like, all right, coach, I'm going to listen to you. So this process of transformation, listen, is the same process that God did then that he's doing now. And if you and I miss it, if we miss the process of the disorientation of 2020, then listen, then we won't be reoriented to the ways of Jesus. Because see, here's what most of us do, myself included. Again, I'm not judging you saying I'm Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm Jason. Nice to meet you. I have the sin of Jacob too. But when the process of disorientation comes, you want to know what we do? We go back to what worked before. We go back. Well, and how I grew up, you talk bad about me. I'm talking bad about you. You come correct with me, I'm coming correct with you. Okay, that's how you grew up though. Is that how Jesus did it? No. When they came to arrest Jesus and Peter was like, I got you, Jesus, cut off a dude's ear. Just imagine Jesus. He's like, man, come on, got the ear. Peter, we don't do that. This is why I love Jesus. Jesus was like, you think I'm scared of these Roman jokers? Again, he didn't say that. That's, this is my, my interpretation. All right, so I could bring 10,000 legions right now. Done. But see, strength and power is shown through the process of going through grief and disorientation and suffering and sacrifice. That's the way of Jesus, church. So listen, if 2020 has felt like a sacrifice to you, Welcome to the ways of Jesus. Your savior was killed. He died. But he rose again. But see, we can't get resurrection. We can't get reorientation without disorientation. Without death. So what is disorientation? It's your old self dying. That's why it's so hard. That's why it's so personal. (laughs) This is why your flesh wants to fight back on social media. Your flesh likes to win. Are you going to post two posts about your favorite candidate? Here's 20. (laughs) And then you tell all your friends, I got her. Do you you see what I posted? Do you see how I got her? I don't know if that's actually what you do, but. But see, a well-differentiated, non-anxious believer would say, well, did you pray for her? How about you pray twice and then post? How about you pray twice and then respond? Listen, church, I get it. This process is disorientating. I don't like it either. But here's what I know. The deeper I allow God to disorientate me, the more he will reorientate me to Jesus. They're connected. And so as a nation, as a church, I I do think, again, I'm not a prophet, but I do think we are going through a collective disorientation season. And we have to let it do its work or else we won't come out different. Last two verses, I had to skip a couple in the book of Micah, but here's verse 15 and 16, the last two verses. He says, I will again bring a conqueror to you. Inhabitants of Marisha, the glory of Israel shall come to Agilom. which you didn't know is that Agilom is where the caves are. So he says, the glory of Israel, you're going to have to run into a cave. You're gonna, the glory is going to go into darkness. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair. For the children of your delight, make yourselves as bald as the eagle Interesting to me that that's our animal, for they shall go forth from you into exile. Now, the command of God just said, make yourself bald and cut off your hair. Any of y'all willing to go do that at home today? And then you go into work Monday, and your friends are like, Girl, what happened to your hair? And you said, you know what? I'm so grieved over what's going on in the church that I had to do something drastic to remind myself that there's another kingdom at play here. I'm not saying you got to go home and cut your hair. Now, in the Old Testament, that was a sign of mourning. So it was walking around in your underwear. I'm not saying you got to do that either. But what I am saying is this. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to take drastic measures? Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, does Jesus want you to take a spoon to your eyeball? No, because that wouldn't work anyway. It's not your eyeball, it's not your hand, it's not your hair, it's your heart. And he says, I'm going to bring a conqueror to you. Now, in that point in time, it was judgment, but here's what's amazing we're also going to see that there's another conqueror who's coming. He's gonna be born in Bethlehem, and he's going to conquer the very things that conquered them. He's going to conquer their sin and their disorientation and their death. So don't forget the message of Micah is one of judgment, but it is also one of mercy. And in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, you see the judgment of God and the mercy of God. He judges, he conquers Jesus instead of us and gives us mercy. So if you're here today and you've never come to that place where you've been so disorientated, where you've trusted Christ and been saved, well, that can happen today. But if you're like me and you have trusted Christ, you don't need to get saved again. You just need to allow the disorientation process to conquer the things in you that need judgment, that need to be judged and dealt with and done away with and put off. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you preserved the message of Micah so we could read it and hear it and have the Spirit of God say to us what you were trying to get across to the people of God In the Old Testament, that you are a God who sees. You see everything. The Bible says that darkness is as light to you. And so you do judge us for our sin because we have sinned. We have transgressed. There is duplicity in us. There is a lack of integrity and wholeness and health in us. but because you're so merciful, you weren't gonna let your judgment stay on us. You sent Jesus to take it so you could have mercy on us. And God, I pray right now, if there's anybody in this house or watching online or wherever they're listening to that has never trusted Jesus, who's never confessed and admitted that they're a sinner, I pray right now, God, you would save them. No, looking around or talking, wherever you're at, just take a reflective moment. Ask yourself that question. Has there ever come a point in time where you trusted Jesus to take your judgment? If you haven't, I'm going to lead you in just a simple prayer, and it's one of confession, and that's just agreement. It's not about the prayer. It's simply, I'm just helping. I'm introducing you to my God. So if you want to trust Christ, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son, Jesus, in my place for my sin. I ask you to love me, save me, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for taking my judgment in Jesus and giving me mercy. Now, if you're in one of our locations and you just prayed that with me, very simply, we want you to do something. If you just lift your hand up so we can see that, just right there where you are, just lift it up. Thank you. Don't be embarrassed, it's all right. We just have a a Bible we wanna give you, some next steps we wanna help you with. If you're watching online in a moment, you'll have an opportunity to text us your information and those in the house as well because we want your information. But then those of us who've trusted Christ, which again, I know is the larger majority of us in here. Let the message of Micah through the prophet Micah come to you today and say, and hear God say, this is what I want from you. I want you to do justice. Seek and love mercy and kindness and walk humbly with me. And trust me, even in this disorientating season, that I do know what I'm doing and I will form Christ in you. And then us as believers, again, let's let's allow the word of God to form us and to shape us and put off our old ways. Listen, I understand how we get angry about things we see happening. But an emotionally healthy, well-differentiated person doesn't act anxiously or responsively or reactively, but acts prayerfully in a way that Jesus would. So Father, I pray that you would work in us like that. We want to walk like Jesus, which was humbly with you, seeking justice, loving kindness, and mercy. So I pray as we work through this book, God, that you would help us do that. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Love you.